This episode is brought to you by the Copywriter Club in real life, our live event in San Diego, March 12th through 14th. Get your tickets now at thecopywriterclub.com slash T-C-C-I-R-L. What if you could hang out with seriously talented copywriters and other experts, ask them about their successes and failures, their work processes and their habits, then steal an idea or two to inspire your own work? That's what Kira and I do every week at the Copywriter Club podcast. You're invited to join the club for episode 169 as we chat with PR expert and communication rebel, Michelle Mazur, about how to turn your business into a movement, the three-word rebellion and how we can start our own, public speaking, and the secret to speed dating successfully. Welcome, Michelle. Hey, Michelle. Hey, thank you so much for having me. I'm so grateful to be here. We are excited to have you here. Um, I am such a fan because you and I worked together two and a half years ago, I believe, when um, you were helping me with my messaging for a big presentation. I was flying to Vegas to present on web copy to a bridal event. Mm -hmm. And so you were so masterful in helping me take down my presentation and my speech and really just honing it down to the key messages. And it was just really kind of magical what you did with me. And it was fun. And I actually enjoyed that presentation. So um, we're going to dig into how you do that today. But first, let's start with your story. How did you end up as a messaging coach? Yeah. So it's so funny because people ask me this question all of the time. And It's one of those questions I feel like I am destined to work in messaging and communication because it's literally in my astrological chart. It's in my human design. My gene key says my life purpose is to impact people directly and indirectly through communication. And I really was drawn into communication when I was, I think I was 14 or 15 years old and I had to take I was forced to take public speaking. And I was one of those kids who was super awkward, super shy, never really spoke up. So public speaking was my worst nightmare. And the boy I liked was in the class. It was terrible. And I remember that first speech. I don't remember what I talked about, but I remember how it felt. I remember shaking. I remember my knees knocking together, my palms sweating, and just trying desperately to get through it. And the other thing I also remember is this voice in my head just telling me, this is important. Like, this is something you need to master. Like, this is a skill that is for you. It's here for you. And I got a C, like a gentleman's C in that first public speaking class and barely survived it. But I decided to, you know, get better at public speaking. So in order to do that, I did what most people would do and joined the speech and debate team because better way to get better at something that terrifies you than just do it competitively every single Saturday for a year. 
Um, and that really began my journey with communication and being on the speech and debate team led me to getting that PhD in communication and becoming a professor, which I didn't really like. And that's a story for another day. <laughs> and that led me to like a detour into market research because I went into corporate for a while. But even when I was in corporate, I was still working with the senior leadership on their speaking and their messaging and, you know, how are we going to present this information so that we get the sale? And I was, even though I was just like this lowly little research analyst, I was the one invited into these meetings because I was good at it. Like I understood what made people act. And eventually one of my friends pulled me aside and was like, Michelle, you have all of this knowledge about speaking and communication. You should really do something with it. And I started a blog and that blog became a business, which was first around public speaking coaching and then became Communication Rebel. And now I do message strategy for small businesses. And what does that mean, message strategy? So what exactly are you doing when you help a small business with their messaging? Yes. So message strategy is that big picture message. So I have a framework called the three-word rebellion, which I know we're going to dive into. But what I do is I help business owners really create their one-of-a-kind message, which is their positioning. What is the only thing that you do in your industry that no one else can deliver on? What is that message? And then we create all of the supporting messages around that. So what is your customer journey? What are the key belief shifts? What are the calls to action? What are the stories you're telling along the way? And then this serves as all of the raw ingredients for your messaging going forward. So if you need to write copy, you go back into this foundational document that contains your messaging. All right. So can we talk about the catalyst for the three-word rebellion? Because I know even when I we worked together a couple of years ago, um, you had not yet created this rebellion. So where did this come from? So the three-word rebellion, and the three-word rebellion really is this one-of-a-kind message that encapsulates the change you want to create. And it came about, oh, two and a half years ago. Well, I think it was right after the 2016 election cycle. And I was just at a time in my business where I had been working with speakers for a really long time in my business. And I recorded the last episode of my podcast for that year. And I just thought to myself, I cannot talk about speaking anymore. <laughs> I felt like I could be replaced by a Google search. I don't want to talk about how to get paid to speak. I don't want to talk about how to write a speech. I don't want to talk about how to pitch yourself or how to find speaking gigs. I am done, done, done with this. I, it just it, it felt so meaningless to me. And I felt like my why has always been that communication changes the world. And I felt like what I was putting out into the world had really left um, that why, like somewhere in Missouri, just stranded on the side of the road being like, hey, remember me? 
And so I really just, I sat there and I was like, okay, it's Christmas time. I'm just going to take some time off and think about what is next. And I felt like there had been something brewing um, for a while outside of me and I just didn't know what it is. And I was just like, I'm just going to take some time. And during that time, I I was looking at all of the social movements because I've always been very interested in politics. And if you've read the Three Word Rebellion book, there's a lot of political references in there. And I was seeing all of these social movements rise up. You know, there was Black Lives Matter and Me Too and Never Again and even Make America Great. And it just struck me how good social movements are at encapsulating the change they're trying to create in the world in just a few words. And then I thought, you know what? There are some entrepreneurs and speakers that I really admire who do the same thing. Like Simon Sinek and Start With Why or Mel Robbins and The Five Second Rule. Like these super successful people have a super succinct message that is about the change they're trying to create. And I was like, wow, that's a really interesting pattern. (laughs) I'm like, I've never, huh. I was like, that's super, super cool. And I thought, okay, I wonder if I took questions from social movement theory, you know, because social movements are always based around principles like, what are you rebelling against? What, what about the status quo needs to change? What is the change you're trying to create in the world? And I was like, hmm, what if I took these questions and I let my clients just write? Because I'm always a big, I've been talking about like ranting and raving for years in my business, like just rant and rave and just <laughs> like just get it all out of your system. I was like, I wonder if I gave them this if I could use like my research skills and help them find their core message. And it worked. I was like, holy crap, I can really help people distill their unique message that is like a start with why or four-hour work week or five-second rule by just letting them just kind of vomit what's out in their brain in a more structured way and just applying some rules to it. And I was like, this is kind of cool. And so I was having a conversation with a book coach and her name's Jenny Nash. And so I was thinking about rewriting my first book, which was all about speaking. And I was telling her about this and she was like, you need to write a book on that. And I was like, oh, okay. She's like, that is so amazing. She's like, you could call it something like the three-word speech. And I'm like, ooh, that's so good. But I don't want to do speech coaching anymore. (laughs) And I went home and I thought about it. And I was like, three-word, that is really good. Because then people are going to be wondering what their three-word is, right? Like, what are my three words? I'm like, what is it, though? And then it's like, in my brand, I'm communication rebel. I was like, oh, it's the three-word rebellion. And that's how it was born. So can we... Like talk through a couple of examples of how this works. Listening to you talk about the theory or or the principles behind it uh, is awesome. But like, let's contextualize it. What is that? How does that look for say someone like a copywriter or somebody who's in business, you know, selling coaching or or something like that? Yeah. So your three words will be unique to you and your business. So for instance, 
So one of my best client stories that I have, so I'm just to contextualize this, I was working with a marketer and her name is Michelle Evans and she's fantastic. And she really has this unique view that as business owners, we should have a system that can, you know, run in the background of our business. So when things go sideways in our personal lives, that we're still able to get clients, to get leads, and our business can still run, even if we can't be fully present because, you know, someone gets sick, there's a death in the family, our house gets robbed and broken into at Christmas time, which was what, like, something that happened to her. And so she really does marketing funnels. And she had a podcast called The Marketing Funnel Show. And let's be honest, marketing funnels is very much a bro marketing word. Nobody wants to listen to a podcast on it. And her approach was so radically different. And no one was paying attention to her. She was just like, you know, fading into all of the noise, even though she was doing something that was really unique and innovative and super cool. So we walked through this process together and her three words ended up being profit without worry. That's what we came up with. And when we came up with it, we're like, okay, somebody has to have this. (laughs) So we did a Google search. She did trademark search. Nobody had it. And that's what she ended up um, changing her podcast t- show to. So it went from the marketing funnel show to the pot to profit without worry. And what happened was immediately she quadrupled the downloads of her show. And so now she ha- uses that as her podcast title. I believe she's going to be launching a book around it and a program around it. That's her custom hashtag. She uses that. That is the message she wants to be known for. That is the message that is associated with her business. And so that is the end result for her. Awesome. So yeah, th- let's talk then about the process. How do we get to that end result for ourselves? How do I find my three words? Yes. So what I find with messaging is people really struggle with this. We spend a lot of time up in our heads and we overthink and we tend to be way too close. So the whole process is really based on free writing. And my whole thing, it's it's better out than in. So I've created like, well, in the book, there's a bunch of other prompts that really prepare you for finding your three word rebellion. But there's a core like six different prompts that you go through. And the prompts are based around the core idea of what are you rebelling against, which is one of the prompts, and you free write. And when you free write, it is about not thinking and just writing. Like whatever comes up, you don't censor, you don't think, you don't worry about grammar, spelling, or punctuation, or political correctness, or if you're swearing or not, but you just get everything out of your head in like one big brain dump. And then you do the same for the opposite question, because I really believe we have to kind of tap into like what 
ticks us off, what annoys us first, before we can tap into the change that we're trying to create in our industry, for the people we work with, and even for the world. But then we have another set of questions about what is the change you're trying to create and some writing prompts around that. And it's the same process. Just get it out of your head. And then once you've you've written and you've you feel whole and complete and you've emptied your head of all of your ideas, then you go into an analysis process. So you I I highly recommend you take a break. <laughs> and I highly recommend you go through this process either with someone like myself or with a friend who's doing it with you because you need that third-party perspective. But then it's about looking for the themes and what you're saying. Are there patterns? What words are you using all the time? What are some interesting verbs you keep using? And there's, you know, certain creative constraints that I talk about in the book that if we if you want me to, I can go into them in more depth. But from that, you can create a word bank, which is kind of like a little bit of a brand voice exercise, and then start playing with different versions of three-word rebellions. All right. So if Rob and I were to go through this process for the Copywriter Club, it sounds like it's basically free write with the prompts, run through themes, analyze themes, patterns, then create a word bank and then play with the model you've created, the three-word rebellion. Is that – did I miss anything? Yep. And yes. And there are like creative constraints, like the three-word rebellion should be positive instead of – because you want to be really focused on the vision you create. It should be between two to five words. I know it's called the three-word rebellion, but two to five words. The two to five-word rebellion just wasn't as catchy as the three-word rebellion. Um, there are two different types of three-word rebellions. So there is the rally cry, which is more action-oriented, starts with a verb. There is the naming, the change, which is usually a little bit more abstract. So that's something like the five-second rule or the three-word rebellion would be a naming the change. So there's different types that you can play with. So there's lots of different options. Um, there's some different templates and examples that I also give in the book that you can get to get you started and to play with. So can we talk about where we typically mess this up? Because it sounds easy enough, right? You, you've created this process. And even as copywriters and messaging strategists ourselves, it's it's so hard to do for your own business. So um, where do we often mess this up and how can we correct that and overcome those obstacles. Yes. So I created this little like rubric after the book came out because I would get people um, sending me emails like, oh, this is my three-word rebellion. What do you think? And A, that's something I get paid to do, right? (laughs) And B, I didn't want to be the person writing them back and being like, oh, that's terrible. I wanted to have a good explanation for them. (laughs) And so I have this, um, I call it the intrigue loop. And so a good three-word rebellion should do two things. And it should, A, make you stop, right? Because we live in a world that's very cluttered with messages and noise and everybody's talking at once and, hey, look at me. And a three-word rebellion should make you go, huh, that's interesting. And then it should make you wonder and think about yourself, So if you think about Simon Sinek's Start With Why, people go, oh, start with why. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. I should start with my why. 
ooh, what is my why? I don't know what my why is. And all of a sudden, I'm up in my head and I'm thinking about me. Because when I think about me, it's my favorite thing to think about, (laughs) but I'm also going to remember the message. And so I think where we mess up is number one, we create messages that aren't that don't stop traffic, that don't have any intrigue in them. Like, live your best life. Okay. Yay. That's like every life coach ever, right? Or they're very solution-oriented. Like my client, Michelle Evans, with the Marketing Funnel Show, it's like nobody cares about your solution. They care about the result the solution gets. They want something that makes them think about themselves, right? So those are two places. Like we come up with something super trite that I've heard a million times before, or we come up with something that is about our solution. Like somebody was like, oh, what do you think about two-step executive coaching? I'm like, nope. (laughs) Like, <laughs> not I, happening. No, that's not even no. No. It's about your solution. And, and your three-word rebellion isn't about you or your solution. It's always about your audience. So I think those are two big places. And then if it's not creating that self-reflection of, oh, what does this mean for me? And it's not making me think about myself or at all, then then you're losing the person because you want them to have that little bit of self-reflection. Because if they're they're thinking about themselves, it's going to be sticky. They're going to remember it. Can you dig into your research process when you're working with clients? You know, you kind of do your your piece of it, your, your magic touch. And for copywriters listening who also work on messaging for their clients, how can we do this better? How can we recognize these key messages? How can we kind of decipher what matters, what doesn't matter for our own clients when we're doing this? Yeah, it's it's so interesting because I rely a lot on my qualitative research background when I do this. So when I read, and I hate to say like part of it is intuitive, and I think part of it is that I've been doing this type of work for nearly 30 years. Oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm saying that out loud. And so when I'm reading free writing, so what I always do with clients is I start with a bit of content of a content audit. I ask them to send me, you know, three of their most important pieces of content that they feel like all of their clients should read before they start working with them, that represent them really well. Sometimes that's like a blog post or a podcast they've been on, but it gets me a little bit familiar with how they're talking about their work. Sometimes their three-word rebellion is lurking in there. (laughs) And so then I'm like, okay, cool. So I can listen to that or read that and like see what words begin or are important to them. And then as I read through their document, like the first time I read through it, I just kind of read through it just for just to like understand like, okay, what, like, what am I seeing here? And then I read through it for like the major themes. And then I start highlighting words and turns of phrase that I think are interesting. Or I also, if I have questions about something, or if I feel like they're holding back, because sometimes they do hold back. (laughs) And I can tell, or if they're too polished, or I feel like they're, yeah, like, sometimes people like, 
want to clean things up. And I'm like, mm, nope, got to go back and be a little bit more messy here. Um, so for me, that is really the process. And I always there's this guttural response I sometimes get as I read what my client has wrote. There might be this turn of phrase and all of a sudden I'm like, oh, and I always make sure I underline that because that is telling me like, oh, okay, I get this. And I also have them tell me a lot about their audience and who they're trying to reach because part of my process when I work with clients is understanding their people and what they believe and why they say no and what they resist. So I probably should have started with that, (laughs) but I think that's an important part too. But for me, it is really looking at this as almost like I almost study my clients like a scientist would. So Michelle, are there things that the very best uh, rallying cries or three word rebellions that you've seen the very best ones have in common? I think that they're curiosity provoking. They're intriguing. They make you like going back to the intrigue loop, they make you lean forward and like, ooh, interesting. What does that mean? What does it mean for me? That is what they have in common. So yes, so I'm I'm like thinking through some examples. Uh, like you mentioned, uh, make America great. Like, I mean, separate that from the person who's using it for right now. Yes. <laughs> like that's that's a tremendous rallying cry, right? Because there's a mission implied. Uh, there's a togetherness. You're like we're all doing this together, and there's kind of an endpoint. Or even uh, just do it. Uh, obviously, again, uh, it's maybe less team based. It's very individualistic, but uh, it's a rallying cry. It gets me excited about the thing that I'm trying to accomplish. Um, it does relate to the Nike brand, right? They're going to provide me all of the accessories that help me achieve that goal. Um, so like those feel like really powerful ideas. And I'm, and I'm trying to think, okay, if I was going to do this, what is the rallying cry that I could come up with for either my own business or for the copywriter club, you know, yeah. for the, the things I want to do? Well, and I think it is that bigger mission, that bigger result, that bigger change. Like what is that bigger result or change that you're trying to create for the copywriters? And going after that and not shying away from it because, you know, Nike, what I love about Just Do It, it's highly aspirational. It has nothing to do with sneakers or the gear they sell. It's about going after that aspirational thing that you want to do. And yes, they will sure sell you the the shoes you need to do it, but it's not about the shoes or the gear at all. And that's what I think a lot of business owners lose sight of. It's not about the shoes, but what the shoes enable you to do at the end of the day. And I think that's the same thing with Make America Great Again, right? It's about the vision of greatness that people have in their minds that they're aspiring towards, no matter how screwed up that is. I talk about that. I actually critique Make America Great pretty hard in the book. (laughs) Um, But it's that bigger thing they're going after. And I think that's what we're all striving for. It's like, yeah, so with copywriters, what is that bigger message there? What's that bigger result, that bigger change, that bigger vision that you're holding for each of them? And I think sometimes I think it's that's super scary and we shy away from it because it is aspirational. 
I love this. I think Rob and I need to sit down and work on our message and, uh, for the Copywriter Club. Uh, so I want to pivot and talk about pivoting because you've done this recently in your business. I think this is something that we see with a lot of copywriters. They're, you know, they're pivoting every two to three years in their business. Um, what, what do you recommend for copywriters who might feel like their work or their services or even their message is starting to feel meaningless like yours did? I feel like it's a lonely place to be where sometimes you want to give up because you think it's you, but it's actually not you. It's just you're not doing the right work. So how would you advise that copywriter who's thinking or struggling with this? How can they pivot and how can they even manage the mindset piece of it too, along with the tactical pivoting? Yes, I would highly recommend being radically transparent about your pivot because there's no shame in it to say, hey, what I've been doing is no longer working out for me. Like, yes, I love my clients. I love the results that they're getting. I love the difference that they're making in the world. But my day-to-day existence isn't satisfying for me. The work that I'm putting out isn't satisfying. Like, I know I can be doing something bigger. And that makes you feel a little less alone because as I was going through my pivot, I decided also just to be radically transparent about it. And people resonated with that. They're like, that's awesome. That's awesome that you're just like, yeah, I don't, I don't love this anymore like I used to. And I don't want to just be doing this because, because you're not the only one struggling with this. I would also say having support around you because um, when I was going through this pivot, I was working with Tanya Geisler. Um, who deals with imposter complex issues, which I definitely suffer from and still have to deal with, which we can talk about later if you want. Um, But having a good coach and that support is really important because it can feel lonely. and, And especially when you're successful, you can feel like you're insane for giving up something that is successful. So that would be kind of like the mindset piece is just get the support you need and be radically transparent. And then as far as the more tactical is when you figure out how you're going to pivot, bring people along with you each step of the way. Because one of the first things I did is like when I figured out the three-word rebellion and I tested it tested it on a few of my clients, luckily they were so open and willing to try it out. I was so grateful. Um, I like rolled it out with a webinar. I was like, okay, I want to see if this is something people would be interested in. And that was part of my openness. I was like, okay, I'm going to just, I'm just going to do a webinar, like a no pitch webinar. I'm just going to put it out to my existing email list, see who shows up, tell them they can give me feedback on it and see how they respond. And they really loved it. They loved the exercises. They thought it was super valuable and they gave me some great feedback back, which helped me inform the book that I ended up writing. But it also prepared them for the pivot that was coming up. And then also I was giving them a choice like, hey, I'm moving more into this messaging direction than the speaking direction, which wasn't a huge pivot because I was always working on messaging, even (laughs) though I was like applying it to speaking. But it was 
just giving people a choice. And it's okay. Like, hey, if you want to leave the community, I totally get it. I totally understand that. And then just be prepared that it's going to take a while for you to fully pivot. Like, I'm still not 100% fully pivoted. Like, there's still lingering speaking things on my website that I have to get rid of. Like, it just, it takes longer than you ever could imagine. Can we talk a little bit about how the three words that we would come up with apply to speaking and, you know, how that might guide us and the kinds of things that we want to share from stage? Oh, yes, yes, yes. So when I help people write, (laughs) so one of the things that I learned with helping people with keynote speeches and writing their keynote speech, the most difficult part of writing the keynote speech was writing the body of the speech all the time. People would get hung up with the, and the, the body of the speech is 80% of the speech. So what was, what's awesome about the, the whole entire ecosystem of the three word rebellion process is what we end up doing is we do this audience deep dive. We come up with your three word rebellion and then you have these three words. And this is what I found when I found my three words. I'm like, great, I have the three word rebellion. And now how the heck do I talk about it? And that's when you start doing like customer journey work, audience journey work, which is more free writing. So I have all of these exercises about like, how do we define this? And why would people say no to this? And um, if, if your three word rebellion was a person, what kind of person it would be? All these like abstract things that allow us to create a journey where we move people from unaware to most aware, you know, you know, typical customer journey kind of things, but in a more organic, free writing kind of fun way. And then figuring out what stories to tell. So I use that same process now. So because that gives me all the raw material I need to write a great speech or to cons- really kind of construct a great speech. So once we have those three words and we know what the audience journey is and we know what stories really support that customer journey, then we can take all of those raw ingredients and think about, okay, you have a, you want to write a keynote speech. So is this keynote speech going to be paid or is this for marketing? Are we creating a marketing asset for your business? And depending like a paid keynote speech, you, there are different questions you have to answer because you're serving kind of two audiences with that because you have the audience that's hiring you and then the actual audience that's listening to it. And there's two different goals. (laughs) And then with a marketing, if you're marketing, which means you're probably not getting paid, it's like, okay, how do we use this to make sure that you are generating leads for your business. So then based on what we know about the audience, we figure out how do we take your customer journey and figure out what your three points are, what stories support those points, what are the key belief shifts, calls to actions we need to have, write the intro, conclusion, make some transitions, and we're done. Super easy. Barely an inconvenience. No, I'm kidding. It's a little bit more in-depth than that, but it makes the process easier when you have all of the raw ingredients that you need to create the speech, because then it's just about creating the structure. 
All right, Michelle, I wanted to ask you about where you've struggled in business, but you kind of led already with the imposter complex and how you've worked with Tanya, who's been on our podcast twice now. So we're all, you know, we're all aware copywriters struggle with the imposter complex. Um, so can you just talk a little bit about that? Because it's easy to look at you from the outside, especially as someone who's worked with you and just feel like you've got it together. You know exactly where you want to go in your business. You made this great pivot and... What what really is happening behind the scenes? Where has the imposter complex hit you? And how have you dealt with it beyond working with a coach, um, which is a good first step? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I still deal with it on a daily basis. And I've not talked about – so my recent struggles – so one of the things I deal a lot with is comparison. Um, and I recently compare myself a lot to Donald Miller, which I shouldn't do because, <laughs> you know, he has, I really like the building the story brand, his messaging framework. It's great. Although it's, he kind of stole it from the, from Joseph Campbell and then didn't cite Joseph Campbell. I have a big rant about like always citing your sources. Um, anyway, <laughs> I digress. But I was talking with another one of my coaches about this belief that I had that I'm not the best at messaging and that I'm not the most qualified. And I'm like, but I have a PhD in communication. I have like 25, 30 years of experience. I've created my own framework. I've helped hundreds of people. I've published three books. I've recorded 180 podcast episodes. Like I've done all of these things and I'm in my head and I'm like, but you don't have a best-selling book like Donald Miller has and he's more qualified than you. And I'm like, oh man, like if I cannot believe that I am the best in the world. And here's the thing, like best in the world, I get to define what the best in the world is. No one else gets to define that for me. That's m that I get to claim that for me. And I kept hearing messages from like my dad in my head, like, don't be too big for your britches, Michelle. <laughs> don't be too much. And I realized I'm like, oh, I cannot get this message where it needs to be if I don't 100% believe that I am the best at what I do. And that's the imposter complex. And it can look like, yeah, to everyone else, it's like, oh, well, you have a PhD and you have all of these accolades and oh my God, how awesome are you? And it's like, Oh no, up in my head, it's like this mess. And I have this inner critic who sounds like my dad telling me <laughs> that I'm not good enough. And look at this guy who has a New York Times bestseller and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's, it's a constant struggle. So that's, you know, a belief that I am the best is something that I'm cultivating. It's still very uncomfortable for me even like like my stomach is literally like in a death spiral right now. <laughs> like even saying it cuz it's just something I'm working on, but I know that that's a belief I need to have in order to achieve what I want to achieve. So talking to other copywriters or people who are struggling with the same things who might look at you, Michelle, and say, well, 
yeah, you might be feeling imposter complex, but you were a professor. You did have all of the speaking experience. You did work in corporate. You do have those three books. I don't have any of those things. And so clearly it's true for me. Like I, do, I don't have what it takes, you know, to, to create a business that's, that's going to run forever or that's going to really have an impact in the world. What would you say to that person? Yeah. Apparently I'm your Donald Miller. <laughs> <laughs> you because, are Donald. <laughs> I know because you get to decide what you're best at. It's so funny. I um created this little exercise that I sometimes do with clients and it's based off the TV show Breaking Bad. <laughs> and it's called I call it the I am the one who knocks exercise. And there's this scene where Walter White is talking to his wife, Skylar, and Skylar is concerned that someday, you know, someone's going to show up to their house and they're going to have a gun and murder Walter. And he basically just goes off on her and he's like, I have created a business that should be on the New York Stock Exchange. I have a GDP that's greater than most countries. Like, And he's like, I am I am the one who knocks. I am the danger. And so I make some of my clients or people who are thinking about being clients, you know, answer questions about their own credibility statement and about their credibility markers because we all have them. We just ignore them and we compare them and make them somehow less than other people. And it's not a competition. It's not a comparison. It's a really about owning it and seeing our value in it and creating your own I am the one who knocks and having that like locked and loaded whenever that, oh, but I'm not Michelle or I'm not Donald Miller or I'm not Rob, I'm not Kira, like I'm not those people. Yeah, but you are the one who knocks. There is something that makes you amazing and expert at what you do. And you have to remind yourself of that and not compare it against anyone else. And that's the struggle. <laughs> so you're saying if we're dealing with the imposter complex to just binge watch Breaking Bad. <laughs> Is that what you're telling me? Because I can do that. Yeah. I mean, you can really watch Walter White's transition from, you know, like mild manner chemistry professor to this Eisenberg character who really like owns owns his power, but owns it for bad. Don't don't own own yours for good. Like step into your power for good. You just need the hat. So, uh, Michelle, let's talk about the flip side of that. You know, beyond imposter complex, you've been in business. Like you said, you've been at this for 30 years. Um, I've been in the online space for about a decade now. I know you've been in it longer and you've seen business owners come and go, as many do. So I wonder what you feel like the secret to lasting success and growing over time in this online, competitive online marketing space where so many people do come and go, what has been key for you or even key for other colleagues or business owners you've watched along the way? I really think it boils down to resiliency and curiosity, like understanding that business takes a lot longer than you think it's going to take. There are so many marketers selling you like, oh, you know, have a six-figure business in six seconds. And all of that is crap. 
<laughs> we see these businesses that appear overnight and usually they were 10 years in the making or they had three businesses before this business took off. We don't see all the things that they went through. So there is this resiliency, this like, oh, okay, well, this is happening and this isn't working anymore. So how can I like figure this out? You know, uh, what can I experiment with here? Do I need to pivot? Do I need a new audience? Like, you know, and just sticking with it. Because if you feel like this is the thing you want to be doing, then stay with it. And also, if it's not the thing you want to be doing, change it. That's fine too. (laughs) But there is this resiliency factor, I think, that we have to have in business. And knowing that all those marketing messages are complete crap, just just know that. That makes your life so much easier. All right. So Michelle, we I know we had talked about your speed dating and how you met your husband, your wonderful husband through speed dating. So can I've always wanted to jump into speed dating. It just I don't know, it just didn't work out for me. Um, can you just tell us about like what that experience is like? How do you maximize your time speed dating? How did you make it happen and so you met your husband? Just tell us everything about speed dating. Let's just focus on this for a while. Yeah. So it's funny. Like I decided to do speed dating. So I was in a pretty tumultuous on again, off again relationship. And I think there's a time talking about resiliency. There's also a time when you're just like, I am done. Like I was done with that relationship. I had mourned it. I was over it. I was done. I cut off all ties. I was done, done, done. And I decided like, I want to find my person and I will do whatever it takes. I am open for anything. Like I will try anything. I will tell all of my friends that I am open to be being set up. Um, whatever comes my way, I will try it. And one of those things was speed dating. And I was like, that sounds fun. And I really went in with no expectation. I just thought I like talking to people. Each conversation is six minutes. I'm like, let's see who I meet. Like, that was it. Like, I just wanted to have fun. I just wanted to meet people. And so I went and, you know, and it's like the men rotate, the women sit at the table and you get, and six minutes goes by pretty quick, unless it doesn't, because there's some people. Like, I swear there are some people where you're just like, is this six minutes over yet? Oh my gosh, can it be? Come on. And so all I remember, so we were doing the speed dating and Glenn sat down at my table and we started chatting and I had been to New Orleans like the week before for my girlfriend's birthday party. And so we we're talking about that and, he, and, you know, you're in New Orleans, so you drink a lot. And so I've mentioned something about that. He's like, oh, are you an alcoholic? And clearly he was joking. So I laughed. And so we were chatting and we're about three minutes in and he's like, can I get your phone number? And I said, I don't think speed dating is supposed to work that way. He's like, I really don't care. And so he slid a piece of paper over and I wrote down my phone number. (laughs) And I was like, wow, that's bold. I kind of like that. (laughs) And, And yeah, like it was strange because then we hung out afterwards and I just knew like literally from the time I made the decision to try anything and just have fun and see what happened to meeting Glenn, it was maybe two to three weeks. 
Wow. I, I have to say, I like Glenn's three-word rebellion. I don't care. That's, uh, that's solid. <laughs> I was going to say, I can see why you two are together with your rebellious nature. I know. I really appreciated that. I was like, oh, okay. What a rule breaker he is, right? So, Michelle, uh, what's coming up for you over, you know, as we enter 2020, you know, you've gone through this pivot. You've got your, your book is out. Um, what's next? Yeah, it's so weird. So I'm, you know, like how I talked about with the book, I felt like there was something big coming through. And as I'm doing my 2020 planning, there's like business things I want to accomplish. Like one of the things I do want to do the way I want to scale this business is bringing on another message strategist who I can train to do what I do because I kind of believe courses and memberships are dying. Um, I think people want more high-touch experiences. So I really more want an agency model. So I'm doing some of that business foundational stuff, like what's my culture and my values and who am I looking for? Um, and what are like what's my client system that I can scale and all of that. But at the same time, I feel like there's this also like a massive visibility thing coming through, but I don't know what that is. It just sounds I'm like, maybe I'll do a TED talk or a TEDx talk or be on a big podcast or something big that gets the book and the three word rebellion a lot of exposure because I just want to help as many people as possible be able to find their message and make the difference they want to make in the world. So yeah, I don't know what that looks like, but I'm excited to find out when it reveals itself. I'm excited too. It'll be it'll be cool to see what that looks like. And hopefully we're helping do at least a little part of that by having you on the podcast today. Yes, 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 yes. And thank you for having me. So Michelle, where can we find you for um, people listening who either want your book or potentially want to just check you out, work with you, whatever? Where should we go? Yes, you can find everything you need to know about the book at 3wrbook.com. That's the number 3wrbook.com. And for all things Michelle, that's at drmichellemazer.com. Thank you, Michelle, for joining us today. It's been so fun to talk about speed dating and messaging. This was I learned a lot, so thank you so much. Hey, thanks, Michelle. You are so welcome. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to the Copywriter Club podcast with Kira Hug and Rob Marsh. Music for the show is a clip from Gravity by Whitest Boy Alive, available in iTunes. If you like what you've heard, you can help us spread the word by subscribing in iTunes and by leaving a review. For show notes, a full transcript, and links to our free Facebook community, visit thecopywriterclub.com. We'll see you next episode. Mm-hmm.